0: As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And when he heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it's impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. And Peter began to say to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Good morning, friends. So good to be here. Um, Just want to thank the band. So good. I haven't sung in 70 days with y'all, and it's been a long time. So good to be here. Um, Eric is like the most humble guy in the world, um, but he and his band, Young Oceans, probably saved sacred music for me and many people. Um, and so, uh, just so grateful to have you here. Um, what a gift to be here on this Sunday. Um, so yeah, it's been a long time. And so I just want to give you a brief update and then we'll jump in, uh, to the text. It has been 70 days, uh, since I was last in this room with you, 70 days since I've taken communion, uh, 70 days since I've gotten to study the Bible. And, uh, it's been a really uh, I wasn't supposed to be here. It was a great surprise yesterday to get a phone call that Jenny was sick. It's not a good surprise to find out Jenny is sick. It's a, it's a terrible thing, but it's it's wonderful to get to find out that I'd get to be here today uh, with you all. And um, the last couple of uh, months, as as you know, um, first of all, if you if you're new here and you've started coming, like since. Uh, September, hey, I'm Matthew. I'm <laughs> we should meet. I would love to ha- say hi afterwards. Um, but the last couple of months have been really hard. Our family's gone through a lot. There's been a lot of feelings of hopelessness and, and powerlessness and, and anxiety um, that we've been dealing uh, through. Um, uh, I, I really feel like I've learned how to breathe in this season. Um, and I'm sure that probably some of you want to know what's been going on, because I would, you know. And it's not because, like, you're nosy. It's because, like, when you care about people, you want to understand what's going on. You don't want to just have some sort of general, like, you know, praying for unspokens is, like, not very fun. You know, at some point, like, well, what's going on? How can, how can I help them? And yet, like, it hasn't been my story to tell. One of the weird things about being a pastor is that your family walks this really delicate balance of, like, accessibility and visibility and also simultaneously wanting to try to give them some kind of a like life, you know, that's theirs, that isn't like uh, uh, everyone else's to see. And, and so this has not been my story because it's been about people in my family. And maybe one day it will be a story that I get to tell. But for right now, um, I've been talking to our bishop for a long time about how to do this. And, and he's like, well, you, you're probably not going to be out of this season anytime soon, which is true. We're still very much in the woods. And so he's like, you need to figure out maybe how to do this with Your people, and which I'm so grateful that he said that because it's what I wanted to do. And so I'm here as a person who's sort of still limping and will be limping for a while, Um, but I'm here and I'm really glad to be um, with you. Um, I just want to say thank you. Um, Thank you for all the ways that you've loved us and cared for us. Thank you for the space of the last 10 weeks. It really has been a huge gift to our family, and I uh, felt so loved by. By you all. Um, It's every pastor's dream to to come come back after being away for a long time and have the text be about money. Um, You know, Um, so but uh, you know we we need to remember that uncomfortable words from Jesus are always funded by uh, love and nothing but love. So when Jesus says a hard thing to us or when a hard saying comes to us, like the, all of the energy behind it is for our good. That all of God's energy towards you this morning as he talks about something that's kind of delicate and tender, like, what, are, um, what is my life wrapped around? What am I um, trusting in for security? What am I looking to to give me a sense of, like, it's going to be okay? And when uh, God puts his finger on those things, it's because he has something better for us. It's because he loves us enough to put his finger on those things and so I want to just briefly just pray and just invite you to just open your hands and your heart as we uh, ask the Spirit to speak, and then and then we'll we'll jump into our our, our sermon. But Holy Spirit, we do thank you that you have um, we thank you that you have set this space to do your work. That this is your place, your house, and we are being formed by you. Thank you, God, that we are not forming ourselves. But as we take baby steps in the direction of Jesus, you are the one who melts our hearts, helps us to think rightly, and gives us the strength to to do the next right thing. And so I just pray that today you would help us with these words from Jesus to know what that is for us. Give us the grace, give us grace towards ourselves. But also give us the grace to hear you and to respond. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So the first thing I just want to say—it comes right out of this text, but it's probably important. Bears witness, bears telling—I uh, don't know, bears, bears mentioning. Um, I'm gonna, its gonna take a while for me to get back at this. Um, is that Jesus loves us? Amen. Isn't that great news? Jesus loves us. It says that the man came and he fell down before Jesus and and then he has this conversation. And it says, and Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And then he says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. One of the things Jenny's been teaching us for for weeks, and uh, David last week, wonderful sermon. um, Just been so blessed by by the sermons the last several months or several weeks as I've been gone. But um, one of the things that we've been looking at is this sort of cost of discipleship that Jesus calls his disciples to, in his own words, take up a cross, which, which had very real and tangible, like it had meat to it when he said it. It wasn't some metaphor. Um, he was talking about a way of life that is suffering and death. And that this is the cost of discipleship, Jesus says, and we have to ask just, you know, if we're going to be like, what kind of person would ask that of a person? Either a person who is very cruel, like a monster, or a person who um, really believed that he was asking to give up something that was so you could get something better. that Jesus actually had a self-understanding that any amount of suffering that you and I might have to go through, any amount of loss or cost that we might have to pay in order to, to get what he has, this kingdom, is worth it. Gladly we would lay it down if we could have what he offers us, his kingdom. Jesus never minces words about the difficulty of discipleship, and yet he asks nonetheless for us to lay down everything to follow him. And this man runs up, and he's in a desperate place. It tells us that he runs. And, you know, one of the things that we read, uh, scholars tell us, is that people don't run in these contexts, that um, ancient Near Eastern people, especially men, especially powerful, wealthy, prominent men, don't run. Um, You run because you've stolen something, but a powerful, wealthy man wearing very nice clothes doesn't run and stir up a bunch of dust, and yet he runs, which tells us that this guy has everything and yet still doesn't have what he's looking for. He's first century Bono. He's trying to find a life, a quality of life that he has yet to, um, to attain which is our second, our second point, that he is uh, looking for eternal life. When he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Just to be clear, he is not talking about heaven. He's not talking about a cloud land with his dog and his grandparents. He has no imagination for streets of gold or harps or any of those sort of silly things. He wants a quality of life. In the Bible, eternal life is not a duration of life. It's a quality it's a kind of life in fact according to Jesus eternal life is something that happens right now uh, to us that heaven begins now we can experience eternity now and so he's saying I have essentially everything and yet I still don't have the quality of life I'm looking for how do I uh, how do I get that how do I attain it um, I would say as a pastor now and I've been a pastor for for some time like 15 years or something um, there are it's probably two equally powerful dynamics that are at, at play in, in most people. One one dynamic is the belief or the conviction that the good life that I'm looking for is just on the other side of some acquisition, whether it's a spouse whether it's a, a degree, whether it's a, a certain kind of house, a certain kind of body, having a child, whatever it is, that, that the good life I'm looking for is just on the other side of acquisition of that thing. And then the other equally powerful dynamic that I spend a lot of time talking to you all about as a pastor is the disillusionment that comes when that thing fails to save you. And so most of our life is spent believing if I just had this thing, then my life would be the way I want it to be, and then we get it, and it turns out it's not enough, that, that this is hard, or that it didn't pay off, or it didn't come through in the long term. So what a beautiful question to ask Jesus. And I just think about, man, what must have been true about the quality of Jesus' life to solicit that kind of question? I mean, would anybody ever come up to me and say, something about you makes me think that you know how to find the life that I'm looking for? Would anyone ever like stop me at the Cav Farmer's Market while I'm looking at all the eggplants and say, excuse me, There's something about you that I can tell, like you have the quality of life I'm looking for. How winsome and humble and beautiful and powerful must Jesus have been, just the experience of him in person, that that's the question that would naturally come up if you met him. I want to understand how to get what you have in this world. And Jesus tells him, this is how you get it. He says, you need to be holy. Now, that might be surprising to you, Um, you... And yet it's not surprising at all in this context. He's saying, well, if you want to have the good life, you need to, first of all, let God uh, rule your life. Is God ruling your life? And what we find out is that this guy, at least he says, yeah, I am. Now, either he's delusional, you know, he's like, he's deceived. He's not being honest with himself or with with Jesus in this moment. But let's be generous towards him. Let's imagine that this guy is actually, um, he actually is who he says he is. That yes, he's wealthy, but he hasn't become wealthy through crooked means. He's not a swindler. He hasn't manipulated the system. He's actually a just and good and righteous person who's done all these things. He's even honored his father and mother. He hasn't defrauded. He hasn't lied. He hasn't stolen. He hasn't done any of these things. And what we find out in this, if we're willing to be generous towards this guy and say, maybe it's true that this person actually is who he says he is, that the thing that's keeping him from following Jesus is not his badness. It's his goodness. That the thing that's actually keeping him in this moment from going all the way in on following Jesus is a good thing, not a bad thing in his life. Jesus doesn't say, well, you need to give up the drink. I can't do that. He says, I want you to give up the good thing in your life. Now, in this context, nobody believed that a wealthy person was wicked. That's a that's that's a today thought, you know, eat the rich you know, whatever. We have lots of ways of where the problem is, is, is wealth. And you know what? It might be. But at least in this context, nobody would have thought that way. In fact, this is why the disciples, it tells us, multiple times they were astounded. They, they, they marveled, it says. Why? Because wealthy people had God's favor on them. Wealthy people were the ones who had, uh, had received the goodness of God in this life. And so what Jesus, when he says, give up your wealth, he's not saying, give up the thing that we all know is really bad. He says, give up the thing that is good in your life for something um, better. The problem for this man, therefore, is not that he's rich. It's that he can't imagine himself not being rich. It's that good thing in his life had become a necessary thing. And that's the whole rub of the story for me. I mean, yes, this is about money. And absolutely, especially in a place as affluent as, as East Atlanta and Decatur in America in the 21st century, we have to reckon with the reality of this being about money. That Jesus is putting his finger on money. But he's also putting his finger on a number of things, I think, in my life that I, he's asking, are you willing to like, let that go to follow me, that good thing? Are you willing to uncurl your fingers from that part of your identity in order to follow me? He puts his finger on something that was neutral, but that had taken up a seat of power. And he offers him a way out. The point, I suppose, is is how has money captured me? Or maybe, besides money, what else has captured me? You know, money is so central to our sense of security today. Many of us are afraid to talk about how much we think about it. Um, Many of us would be maybe afraid to admit how much we think about it at night or how much fear we have around it or how much of our sense of like, I'll be okay when I get to is actually tied to a figure. I'll, I'll finally, we'll, like, we'll be able to do the things in the house and I'll be able to t- take the trips or I'll be able, like, when I get to a figure and there's this like elusive, like, number out there if I could just make this much well next year after the review if that comes through with the bonus we'll be able to and like how much of my life is actually built on that idea of like you are just a dollar number away from having the life you want how much, how much centrality it takes up in my own heart Jesus is trying to rescue you and me from this He's trying to rescue you from the deceptiveness of that because you also know, especially if you've been around the sun enough times, that that isn't real. That it's not a real thing. That you get that figure and then it turns out it's not enough. And then there's another number that you're waiting for. Jesus is trying to save you. He's trying to rescue you and me from this because he wants you to understand the good things in your life, like the wealth that you have, exist for your neighbor You've been given good things for the sake of others. That's why he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. He doesn't just say, like, go and flush your money down the toilet. He says, understand that you have good things, and they're not yours. They belong to someone else. They exist for someone else. And the more that you release and let go and give and pour out and stop building your own empire, the freer you will be. The more able to, to follow me you will be, Jesus is telling this man. Richard Baxter um, Puritan, uh, from, from the Puritan years. And he, um, he, wrote, he, he, wrote, um, he wrote about a, a little book called A Christian Directory, and in it he talks about how do you know if money is an idol in your heart. And I, I, I don't know who will pass this. He says, one is if you find yourself often envying people who have more than you. Um, so how are you with people in your neighborhood who can do the renovations that, that you want to do? Um, or the coworkers uh, who make more than you. Or the family members whose who salary is more than you. You know, you know, get to go on nice vacations or get to, get to buy new cars. Or, um, you know, friends who can always afford to eat at restaurants. Those kinds of people. People that don't always have to, like, look at the a la carte part of the menu. People who, if, if you find yourself saying, because I don't have this, it's not fair that you have this. You, you'd never say that out loud. You would never post that on Twitter. Um, but it's in your heart. It's active in there. Another thing Baxter says is, if you find yourself regularly worried about it. Now, there are seasons where I think it's right to be worried about money. Sometimes you have, like, seasons with, like, medical bills that are, like, you know, sky high. It's like, I, I didn't, I wasn't planning on this, you know. Um, but just in general, is there sort of like a, a, like a low, like a base note to your life that's just around financial worry? Jesus is trying to show us a way out. Sell your possessions, he says, give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. Now, just to be clear, Jesus tells this man to sell his possessions. We don't know if he says all of his possessions. I don't think it's necessarily important, but he's, he's saying like, I want, you to, I want you to have a shift in the quality of your life and just to be also clear, he tells his disciples to do this in Luke chapter 12 as well. So it's not like this is a one-time incident. We can say, well, clearly this doesn't map onto us. It's like he does tell all of his disciples in Luke chapter 12 to do this, which is not to say like all of you should go home and sell your possessions, like open up an eBay account if you don't already have one, or dust it off from the 90s and then start using it again. Um, but but actually what what Jesus is, I think, just saying like, are you willing to look, the way that John the Baptist, his cousin, said it, and I always this always strikes me, he's like, He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And they're like, like what? And he says, "Um, if you have two coats, give one away. How many of us have two coats? So practical. He's like, if you have two loaves of bread, give one of them away. It's just like, you don't need extra. Why would you need extra? It's just very practical in that sense. So Jesus is saying, like, look at the excess you have. Look at the extra and consider that maybe you, you could put that in someone else's hands. No, don't go and just drop a whole bunch of your trash at Goodwill. That's not what this is inviting us into. But recognize, like, what is it that I have that's excess that I could literally put in the hands of a neighbor, of a person that, that I meet on the street, of a, of a co-worker who I know is going through a hard time? What do I have that actually could help someone else, could serve someone else instead of just take up space in, in my house? We who are wealthy have an obligation to care for those who are not wealthy. One of the things that wealth does for us is it takes us further and further out of proximity with those who are poor. The more money you have, the more secluded you get to live, the less you have to be confronted. And this is a little different for us, I know, because you can like live in like a very nice neighborhood in Atlanta and pay a lot of money to live there and still actually have to have to deal with the reality of homelessness and poverty. I mean, it's Part of the beauty, I think, of living in a city—it's one of the things I love so much about being here—is that you can't escape it. Um, And yet, like the further, the more we have, the the further away we get from poor people. And then it becomes like something you have to drive across town to do. It's like a—it's an an airplane trip away. It's a mission trip, you know. Jesus is just—I think—very naturally. Like, do you know any poor people? (laughs) Do you know someone that you could help? Someone that needs help? Do you know people who have need? Or have you managed to construct your life? Have I managed to construct my life in such a way that pretty much everyone I'm around is like pretty similar? Like Maybe some have a little more, a little less, but in general, like we're all kind of doing the same. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasures in heaven. Maybe you don't have a lot of extra. You know, Not everyone in here does have extra. But what do you have that's extra? Do you have extra seats at your table? Do you have a wealth of relationships that you can invite people into a community with? Do you, have an ex- do you have excess uh, platform? Do you have, through your work, the ability to actually elevate voices that otherwise aren't being listened to? What do you have that's access that you can use for the sake of others? Now, of course, the end of this story is super sad because he doesn't do anything. He just, he walks away grieving. He can't do it. He walks away grieving. And I think probably, um, I think, I think this man thought about this moment the rest of his life. And I always want to be really hopeful. I'm a pretty optimistic person. And so I want to imagine that like, even like a couple of years down the road, or maybe even like a couple of weeks later, he's like, wait, of course I should do that. And he, he went and he did what he, and then he came and he found Jesus. Or maybe it was after the resurrection. he finds his, Maybe, I just want to believe that maybe he actually, at some point, decided that whatever he was holding onto wasn't, wasn't, Uh, worth it. And yet in this moment, what we know is that he can't do it. He walks away and he walks away sad. And I just want to say to you, that may be where your heart is right now. This is not meant to like gin up a bunch of like, I'm going to do this for Jesus. Like that's not the point of this sermon. In fact, I think actually maybe the point of this whole text, as Jesus says going forward, is that none of us can do it. That none of us are actually going to be able to do what he's calling us to. Which is why he says, oh, for mortals, it's impossible. Can you just let that relieve some pressure from you for a minute? Oh, for mortals, it's impossible. But not for God. With God, all things are possible. In other words, whatever it is right now that your fingers are clenched around, that you just can't manage to let go of, do you know that that's exactly why Jesus came? For the things that you can't do, for the ways that you can't follow him? He came to rescue you from the things that you're unable to give up. And as we look at him, we find it easier and easier over time to open our hands. But this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, that that he who was rich became poor, that's Jesus, became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. In other words, the whole point of the gospel and the reason Jesus comes is so that you and me, though poor, can be made rich through his poverty. So for people, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so the call of the text today is, yes, you and me, we have things in our hand we're meant to let go of. But also the call, even more so, is to look at this person who became poor, who was treated as a slave and hung on a cross whose only possession in the world was gambled in front of his feet as his hands were pinned helplessly to a Roman cross. Like, look at him who becomes poor for you. And as you do, you'll become rich. And when you do, you'll, you'll realize how much you have to give. You'll realize what you are here for. You're here for the sake of your neighbor. You're here for the sake of another. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are, um, I love you. we love you that you are um, that you are endlessly good and that what you call us to though at times very hard is always 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 for our good and Lord you love us in a way that um, well we don't deserve but you do love us that way I just pray, Father, that whatever distance or gap there is between this story, this text, and my own actual real lived life, that you through your Holy Spirit would help to bridge that gap so that I would know what it is practically and tangibly today that you're calling me to do. That each one of us in here, Father, would have a sense just from the Spirit. Thank you that as we even go out from here in a little bit, that the Spirit goes with us, that he takes the words of Jesus and, and shines a light on them and makes them real to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, we invite you to be our instructor and counselor in how to walk in the ways of Jesus. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is emmanuel that's with an I, emmanuelatlorg Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.